This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. worst of times. One issue which we've covered a great deal on this show is the military-industrial complex. I'll save that conversation for another day or a little later. But one of the things that doesn't often get talked about is the political media-industrial complex, which is there are a whole bunch of people in the media that make money from politics and from covering politics. And I don't know if you heard my interview with Lee Fong yesterday. If you didn't hear it, I really would suggest you go back and listen to it. You can just search, uh, you know, uh, Frank Morano interviews and more on redapplepodcastnetwork.com. It comes right up. And one of the things that he said I thought was really interesting, which was that the big media networks may not like Donald Trump, but they want him to win. Because he's good for clicks. He's good for publishing. He's good for selling newspapers. He's good for people getting people tuned in. Now, that stands in contrast to what other people are saying. Vanity Fair, in an article written by Brian Stelter, you remember Brian Stelter uh, from CNN when he was there. He used to host Reliable Sources. He wrote an article in Vanity Fair called The Great Presidential Election Tune-Out. And he chronicles why he thinks the day of cable news and why 2014, excuse me, 2024 will not be, uh, sorry, I got a nosebleed here. Bear with me. I will, it goes away quickly. Why 2024 will not be like 2016 in terms of ratings and the political media benefiting. And basically his column is about political burnout. And he says, look, you're probably thinking, you're probably feeling it. You might be feeling it so acutely that you're tempting to stop reading this sentence. But hear me out for a few paragraphs because This sense of exhaustion may be the defining feature of the 2024 presidential election cycle. He points out how the Iowa caucus turnout numbers were weak. Ratings for the cable news coverage of the results were soft. Two primary debates ahead of New Hampshire were canceled, and these trend lines aren't suddenly going to turn around. He says the prospect of a rematch between President Biden and... And former President Trump is for untold millions 
the worst kind of return or the worst kind of rerun. And in poll after poll, Americans are saying they're underwhelmed by the 2024 candidates and unhappy about the political system as a whole. Some are terribly angry and motivated to vote and door knock and donate, but many are just tired. And he believes they're tuning out. Now, this is interesting because do you know who made a similar point on this program a couple of months ago? Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly was saying uh, years ago, he wrote it in his columns and said it on radio and in his commentaries, Bill O'Reilly said cable news was dying and that Trump, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, these are my words, not his, gave it a little bit of a dead cat bounce. Trump masked the broader problems with cable news. And as Lee Fong pointed out yesterday when we discussed this, Les Moonves was talking about Trump's candidacy in 2016 and he said Trump may not be good for the country, but he's good for CBS. And he did turn out to be good for CBS and The New York Times, which saw record subscriptions and The Washington Post and Fox News and MSNBC and CNN. And then when Trump left office, everybody went away in terms of viewership to those things. They fell back down to normal, I should say. And so that's where Lee Fong came in yesterday in saying that he thinks – They actually want Trump to win because they want the clicks or at least want him to be the nominee. So they get at least a short term burst of uh, money that comes with all those clips. But this Brian Stelter article is saying something very different. He's saying that for whatever reason, and he provides statistics and graphics, he's saying that for whatever reason, people don't care this year. People are watching football. People are watching a lot of other things. They're reading a lot of other things, but they're not into media coverage of this presidential race. So those are kind of the two arguments. And then I want to bring a third up, which I happen to encounter in the last day, because I think they're all all interesting. Because after listening to Lee Fong, I thought he was I thought he was very sound in what he said. Then in terms of reading this Brian Stelter interview, he made a pretty interesting case that maybe people are just bored. People don't want to see. Uh, the Trump-Biden redux. They're just tired of this whole thing. I'll be honest, that's kind of the way I feel. It's one of the reasons I generally don't talk that much about Trump-Biden and the presidential race. But here's what I thought was interesting. And it leads you to wonder if what Bill O'Reilly said is true. Is basically cable news dead? And then I came across this interesting article in Politico by Jack Schaefer. Jack Schaefer is an interesting writer He's the senior media writer for Politico, and he's written commentary about the media industry and politics for decades. Used to be a columnist for Reuters and Slate. He knows the media business. But this was the headline in his piece yesterday. Old people love cable news and they vote. So he says... The predictions of cable news demise are dead wrong. And he went through everything that happened last year in the cable news sphere. He says cable news last year was having a terrible year, even before it was half over. You got Don Lemon fired by CNN boss Chris Licht. Then Chris Licht himself got the heave-ho. You have um, Tucker Carlson basically getting the same treatment from Fox News. Then you have Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News, paying Dominion $787.5 million to vaporize their libel suit. Only MSNBC was spared the drama, but 
the ratings at MSNBC couldn't keep up with either Fox News or CNN. They saw a big, big dip. And there was all sorts of other bad news to report. Washington Post reports cable news is dying. A lot of other people, Financial Times, talks about the existential crisis facing cable news. And basically what Jack Schaefer says is that these obituaries had been foreshadowed years ago by a feature in The Atlantic by Derek Thompson, who stacked the causes of cable news's demise as he predicted Fox's fall. He he talked about the demographic cliff that's going to swallow the network's core of elderly white male viewers. But according to Schaefer, the recent predictions about the end of cable news are just as inaccurate as what Derek Thompson wrote about Fox, which obviously turned out to be very wrong back in 2016. According to Schaefer, Cable news possesses phenomenal staying power for a lot of reasons, but namely because the people that watch it, older voters who are tuning into droves, whether they're liberal, they tend to watch MSNBC and CNN, or whether they're conservative, they tend to watch Fox News. And they're not they're going to keep this alive because older voters are the most reliable constituency in terms of who's actually going to vote. So he writes that the assertions of cable news vulnerability were not without evidence, right? He, he talks about the audience getting being old and getting older, rapidly moving uh, – a lot of their viewers rapidly moving to the cemetery. The, the people getting rid of cable, which is also very real, uh, changing technology. Giving audiences new choices. You know, a lot of the shows that I watch, you know, aren't on cable. In fact, on cable news, I only watch one show, and that's once a week. So if cable news were to buy the farm, as so many predict, the consequences would be very dramatic, much more so than any of these harbingers of doom have plotted it out. So think about the world before MSNBC and Fox News. Politics in America was mostly a regional journalistic endeavor. It would go only national in the year or so before the presidential election. People in Congress, like uh, Matt Gates, would be ignored by the press. And they discovered that by going on cable news, they could acquire influence and build political power within their parties. Cable has become the place, this is what Jack Schaefer writes, that candidates toss their hats into the ring where they launch trial balloons for new policies, where the debates that once took place in House and Senate chambers are often now conducted under studio lights and where evidence to impeach presidents is first presented and where Supreme Court nominees are first vetted. So in many ways, cable news, especially MSNBC and Fox, have become the 21st century equivalents of the 19th century newspaper industry. Now, this is the first column that I have read which says basically this. Everything else that I have read when it comes to people predicting the trend lines of political media, they all say cable news is either already dead or it's dying or will soon die. This piece, which I just linked to if you want to read it on uh, my Facebook page, is the first one saying that no, It's not dead by a long shot. It's got phenomenal staying power. Now, cable news is kind of a less interesting cousin than talk to talk radio. 
And that's why I'm curious, which of these three approaches do you think is the most accurate? Or is it some combination? Do you have what Lee Fong said yesterday? Uh, and Elias, do we have that Lee Fong audio? You're working on that. Okay. Um, do So the is it what Lee Fong said yesterday, which is that Trump will again be the savior of not just cable news, but the political industrial, the political media industrial complex, publishing, newspapers, etc. Whether he wins or he loses, they're all rooting for Trump to win because whether they're covering him like he's a villain or a hero, Trump draws an audience. The people that love him, love him. The people that hate him, hate him. But they love to watch. They love to click. They love to read. They buy books. They, they're they clicking and clicking and clicking. Is Lee Fong correct that the owners of these corporate media outlets are hoping that Trump wins and gives them a shot in the arm? Is Brian Stelter correct that we are watching the great American tune-out of 2024? Ratings are low. Turnout is Turnout is weak, and Americans are unenthused about the prospect of a Trump-Biden rematch. Or is Jack Schaefer correct that reports of the demise of cable news have been greatly exaggerated and that, yeah, cable news has a lot of staying power? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Because the fact is, Schaefer's right. Older people are television's most devoted viewers, and they are the most reliable voters. So even if the numbers aren't what they were a few years ago, I think that probably means the Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, they're here to stay, at least for the time being. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Speaking of cable news, a guy that is all over cable news and radio will join us a bit later, uh, Brian Kilmeade. Looking forward to that conversation and getting his take on the New Hampshire primary and a whole lot more. Then uh, we will uh, actually next hour, we're going to talk with Jack Kelly, the author of a fascinating book about Benedict Arnold and how the things that he writes about in this book may cause you to reevaluate Benedict Arnold's legacy and where he falls in American history and his place in the revolution. Our phone number is 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You can also find me on Twitter. Yes, I still call it Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R. A-N-O. I actually, you know, I found the Brian Stelter article in Vanity Fair pretty persuasive about how people aren't watching, people aren't tuned in, because I get the feeling there's this overwhelming sense of, ugh, not this again, not Trump versus Biden again. We have another uh, nine or ten months of this, please, across the board. Whereas in 2016, people were fascinated. By Trump, The people that liked him were interested to hear what he had to say. The people that hated him couldn't believe what he was saying. But here's where I think Stelter doesn't necessarily uh, predict accurately what effect this is going to have on the media and on turnout. I think that you have a situation where uh, people are fed up with a Biden versus Trump rematch. They are. And maybe not you because you're a part of the political cognoscenti, but my friends, my neighbors, my family, they're fed up. Okay, And I think this is going to lead to the most robust showing 
for third party and independent candidates that we've seen in at least 30 years, uh, since 92, but probably even more. Now, what form that takes, whether this dislike of Trump and Biden and the Trump-Biden rematch causes a surge of interest for the no-labels candidate or for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or for Jill Stein or Cornell West or the Libertarian candidate, I have no idea. But I think people are going to be interested in alternatives to Trump and Biden. I really do. And I think that's what Stelter hasn't taken into account in this column chronicling the uh, decline of talk radio, excuse me, uh, cable news ratings and the decline of voter turnout. What do you think? Is Brian Stelter right? The great American tune out? Is Jack Schaefer right that cable news has incredible staying power because of who's watching it? Is Lee Fong right that whoever owns these entities just hopes Trump wins? Or is there a little bit of truth? I think there's a little bit of truth in all of them, actually. But I think my theory, obviously because it's my theory, I think my theory as to what a real third-party challenge may mean this year for both turnout and for cable and for cable news ratings, I think that's worth considering. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Tom listening on WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Tom. Hey, Frank. Uh, I only catch you for like... 20 minutes on the ride home from work, but I like your show. Well, can you but, drive uh, a little yeah. slower, Tom? I mean, come on. We're counting on you out there, Tom. <laughs> I got to get to bed. But uh, no, no, no I, I like you, man. Uh, you're, you're, I, I, I think you're probably left-leaning. I'm totally the opposite way, but I like your show. But Thank I you. wanted to say, I think cable I think cable news is dead, man. I mean, I really do. Um, I think, and, and Brian Stelter, like he's he's got no credibility in my book because CNN's got no credibility in my book, and he came from CNN. I, I think that I think they're just going to stay. I I don't think they're going anywhere because they'll just always be there. But I think people are getting their media or their uh, journalistic opinions from somewhere else. Um, well, it's interesting, even you, though, even though that you don't like Stelter, you're pretty much agreeing with him here. It's interesting that you mentioned the fact that he was on CNN and was fired. Do you think that? The fact that he was fired from a cable news network could be leading leading to him talking up the demise of cable news. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that O'Reilly, who's been saying the same thing, was also fired from a cable news network. So it's interesting that two of these fellas that used to be very visible presences on cable news, both were let go and now are both saying the same thing, which is what you're saying, that cable news is dead. Well... Uh, with with Brian, I guess even a broken clock tw- tells the truth twice a day, you know. <laughs> but he, I think he got fired just because he sucks so bad. Personally, I, that that's what I think. Yeah, well, but, you uh, might be and, right. And, um, and I don't know, I don't know Riley. Um, since I'm listening on WCBM, I get his opinion at work, like his little show or whatever at work. I. I, I have no idea about his backstory, but I mean, when I think of like cable news, I think of like my mother-in-law who just sits in a chair all day right. and watches like CBS all morning. But Tom, and I, I, I get it. Vote, and I, oh, well, so that's what I was just going to ask you. What Jack Schaefer is saying is it's people like your mother-in-law who are watching these networks and it's people like your mother-in-law who turn out to vote, which makes these cable news networks so influential. No, but you're, you're disputing that. She doesn't vote. All right. Well, very interesting. Uh, so that goes. Uh, no, my, uh, my 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 parents and people I work with, it's like they don't they don't watch it. I mean, my dad, he's like, 
he's a boomer. I mean, you know, he's getting ready to retire in like a couple of years. And the guys I work with, they are like quote unquote boomers too, I guess you would say. Right. Well, it's the and boomers. Not on, not on trust cable news network. No, no. Exactly. Right. I mean, this is something that's really only watched by older folks primarily. Um, this was Lee Fong yesterday in my discussion with him. Thank you for this, Elias. You've pointed out that the corporations that own these media companies actually did pretty well financially during the Trump administration. Um, how well did they do and what happened once Trump left office? Well, look, you know, there's a very public adversarial relationship between many journalists and TV hosts and pundits and Donald Trump and you know, many reasons behind that. But part of this is perhaps some type of uh, political theater. At the end of the day, CNN, MSNBC, you know, even the New York Times, these are big publicly traded corporations that at the end of the day serve their shareholders. They have a fiduciary duty, not to um, journalism, but to uh, helping their investors. And if you look at their investor reports, they have to publicly disclose this information. They never did so well as under Trump, both for his Trump, for the Trump uh, presidential campaign in 2015 and 2016, and uh, during the first few years of his administration. And it's very interesting uh, in looking at the debate picture, right? Uh, there's going to be no one-on-one Trump versus Haley debate. That might be good for cable news. Looks like that's not going to happen. And if you look ahead at the three general election presidential debates, it's not clear whether they will happen. Right. I mean, we don't know if Trump's even going to debate Biden or vice versa. And you know what? In a lot of ways, that's not unusual. Nixon sat out the debates back in 68 and 72. Carter uh, didn't debate Reagan, at least the first debate in 1980. There were no debates from 1960 to 1976. But since then, there have been, you know, more and more debates. It's become a more common thing. Let me just read you this last portion of this Jack Schaefer column, and then I'll get back to your calls. Two open lines if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. Schaefer writes, while cable news' audience may erode the way other audiences have, it would be wrong to count the medium out. Cable will remain a popular source of news and continue to shape our politics. For now, at least, the channels convey a sense of the now to voters, excuse me, to viewers, better than any other news medium, especially to its older, devoted audience. No news technology is immortal. Just ask the the last of the telegraph operators. But contrary to its detractors, cable news isn't likely to tip into an existential abyss anytime soon. Just ask your grandfather. Or in the case of, uh, I think it was Tom... Ask your mother-in-law. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Tenderness. This is a uh, bumper music selection from our listener of the week, Isaac Krinsky. A great choice, Isaac Otis Redding, a uh, tremendous, tremendous performer who we miss a great deal. Uh, Matt Blay is still out today due to COVID. Elias is still here and still masked. You'll be happy to know. And I got word from one of my colleagues when uh, when I walked in last night. They said, and. Yeah, just so you know, Tony's not feeling well either. And I'm thinking they're dropping like flies. My I, I heard goodness. Marita told you that, by the way. Oh, man. So what, is this true? You're not feeling well? Yeah. Um. When, when I woke up this morning, my head was all stopped off, just oh, sneezing. Man. There's something going around. It's the last thing I need. Yeah. Now, if you go down, who 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 fills in for you? I know. That's why I'm here. Because oh, otherwise, I was going to call in, but I didn't want to leave Elias hanging or Bill hanging. <laughs> How about the Frankster? Oh, I, and you too. Yeah. I love you guys. So you. I'm a team player. My goodness. Uh, so there you have it. Still not sick, by the way. I am. I'm taking every supplement there is. I got. I think I got eight hours of sleep yesterday. and made a point to stay in bed. I was going to get up and start my day earlier. I said, no, let me stay in bed. Let me try and get a little more sleep. I've been taking the zinc. I'm taking every preventative measure you can imagine. Balance of nature, vitamin C, vitamins that, that don't even have letters I'm taking. And um, and here I am. And meanwhile, my wife said to me when I when, – because uh, we thought she had strep throat. Turned out she didn't have strep. She has some sort of an infection because – I don't want to be gross here because you can – tell based on the color of someone's mucus, apparently, they say, if you have an infection or not. And apparently she has the infected color. I don't want to delve too deeply into that. But anyway, um, she's telling me yesterday when I got up in the afternoon that she feels sicker. So I'm getting it on. I have, there's no, I have no 
no respite. Here at work, I'm surrounded by sickos. At home, I'm surrounded by sickos. But I hope everybody feels better. And do we know when Matt Blaze is slated to come back? Have the slightest idea. I did reach out to him. He said he was feeling a little bit better, but not not at, at his best. So right. we, we probably won't see him until next week. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. We wish him the uh, best of luck. And um, now I know you said you had COVID before. Do you think you have COVID now? No, I think I just have a cold because um, I'm not going to say the board op's name. When I come in here, um, it's like a sauna and with the change of weather. Well, yeah, he keeps it hot. Yes. Okay, I get it. All right. Well, good. I hope you feel better, obviously. All right. Uh, let me, because I have had a pretty good track record, at least until last weekend. Even last weekend, my track record wasn't terrible. But I've had a pretty good track record of accurate football picks. A couple of people have actually said they have made some money on my picks. So let me let me give you my picks for this weekend's game. And I, I think I alluded to this yesterday, but these picks are totally sentimental but this is pretty much how I've been picking. There are only two games this weekend. Yeah, the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. This is how I've been picking the games the whole year round. Now, in years past, I would have picked the opposite of what I'm picking. But I'm pick- I'm going with the stations that we are on. So Baltimore is favored by three and a half points over Kansas City. I'm going with Baltimore. I know they have Taylor Swift. They have Travis Kelsey. They have Pat Mahomes. I am going with the good listeners of WCBM who've been so good to me and going with Baltimore. Now, this next game is even tougher because San Francisco, the team of that I rooted for in my youth because I, I just loved Joe Montana. I still wear my 30-year-old Steve Young jersey. I am going with the Detroit Lions, like I think 48 or 49 other states are likely to do that. I saw a map of which states were supporting the Lions and which states were supporting the 49ers. The only place where I think the 49ers have uh, people supporting them are in California. Everyone's rooting for the Lions. It's the Cinderella story. So I'm going with the Lions because of our great listeners on AM 910, the Superstation WFDF. So I'm going with Baltimore. I'm going with Detroit. I think I'm out of money now, so I'm not going to actually place any bets, but I'm still in this football pool. And then um, that's that's where I am. And I'm, I, as always, my tiebreaker points, I'm picking that there'll be 42 points on the uh, on the Lions game. I'm not sure which they look at the tiebreaker for. I have to – or it might even be both games. I have to check on that. All right. 800-848-9222. I just got an SMS text message here from a former listener of the week about our discussion about the three approaches to the political media industrial complex that we've been talking about, the Brian Stelter Vanity Fair article, the Jack Schaefer Politico article, or Lee Fong as expressed on this program yesterday. And uh, this gentleman writes me, Stelter seems right, I just read it, but he leaves out the sense of defeatism. Trump's fans figure the election will be stolen again. Biden offers nothing good. 2024 feels inevitable and awful. See, that's interesting. Basically, he is describing that listener a level of desperation among some Trump supporters, which is why they're not tuned in and turning out to the extent that they were in 2020 and 2016. I thought that was interesting. 800-848-9222. What do you see? What's the future of cable news and the political media industrial complex more generally? Is there more to it than we're seeing here? Oh, but before we get there, what an interesting mystery. Have you heard about this? 
This is fascinating. Just speaking about the Kansas City Chiefs, listen to this. Maybe you heard about it. I I don't know. This is one of the most bizarre stories I've ever seen. There was a football fan who hosted a party in, you know, in Kansas City. And the football fan who hosted this party that ended three of his friends with three of his friends dead at this Kansas City rental property was asleep on the couch for two days while their loved ones frantically tried to contact him. At least that's what its lawyer is saying. So David Harrington, 37 years old. Ricky Johnson, 38 years old. Clayton McGinney, 36 years old. Relatively young. Is that still young? The older I get, the, the, the more everybody seems young. These three fellas, Harrington, Johnson, and McGinney, had gathered at a house rented by their friend Jordan Willis on the afternoon of January 7th to watch their favorite football team play their last game of the regular season. The three visitors were found dead at this house two days later. And only after the fiancé of one of the victims broke into his home and found the bodies. This is according to a friend's Facebook post. Um... The lawyer told the New York Post about the guy who lived. He was asleep. He was asleep on the couch. The last memory he has is of them leaving out the front door. He doesn't know what happened with them until, you know, when the police came Tuesday night to his house. He added that Kansas City investigators had said there was no foul play. I mean... Strikes me as really weird. And they were not investigating his client in connection with the bizarre and inexplicable deaths. Uh, Kansas City Police Captain Jake Bacina told Fox News Digital, this case is 100% not being investigated as a homicide. So there's going to be a pending toxicology report that maybe will shed more light on this. But these men were found outside basically in the backyard of the house, while their cars and Willis's warm house were just yards away. I mean, I know it was cold, but wouldn't you think they would get to the point of getting in their car or trying to get back into the house before freezing to death? So temperatures on January 7th and 8th mostly stayed in the low 30s before plummeting into the teens on the afternoon of January 9th. So the lawyer insisted that his client, who works as an HIV vaccine development scientist, oh no, developing vaccines, that's all some of you need to hear, would have done anything in his power to come to the aid of his friends, Harrington, Johnson, and McGinney. They were his buddies. They hung out all the time. Two of them he went to high school with. If he could have helped them, he would have helped them if they needed help. He had no idea they were back there. When asked if there was a chance that the men had been doing drugs and suffered overdoses, the lawyer said there's a chance of everything. I I mean, I have to think something like that is the case. First of all, though, the gentleman who lived and who was inside this warm house, how was he asleep for two days as as the family members of these people are trying to contact him? I mean, I've been drunk and I've been drunk. I've never slept for two days. 
don't you at least get up to go to the bathroom or something? I don't know if he was drunk, but what other explanation is there for sleeping on the couch for two days? Especially with the excitement of the Chiefs going to the playoffs. So, um, friends of the victims had taken to social media to contend that Willis was partially responsible for the strange deaths, which seemed to raise as many questions as the frozen bodies. Uh, What one friend wrote on Facebook earlier this month, uh, Kaylee Latier, this man was inside his home alive while my friends were dead in his yard for Lord knows how long. Well, that's the question. Did he know they were out there? Why were they out there? If they were cold, why didn't they go in the house or in their car? Uh, One person wrote, they were all hanging out since after the game Sunday. He knew people were looking for them. He read messages of people searching for him on Tuesday. I find this case so interesting. This one woman, a friend of theirs, my husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. My friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she's inside. And still nothing from him? Then the cops come 10 minutes later and he comes out, nonchalant in his boxers, with an empty wine glass in his hand. Nothing is adding up. Dave, Clay, and Ricky need and deserve justice. I'm curious what you make of this because uh, this is one of the stranger cases of three people dying suddenly in a football-related, a football spectator-related event that I've ever seen. Uh, One person writes on Facebook to the friend that wrote that. um, With a friend like that, just doesn't make sense. My thoughts are with you. So they held uh, funerals for all these people. Sad situation. It really is. But I'm curious if you think there's something else here. And if so, what is it? Were they were the guys that died on drugs? Was the guy that slept for two days or claimed to sleep for two days on drugs? Even if you're on drugs, can you really sleep for two days while the whole world's trying to reach you? It strikes me as very strange. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, Tony, what's your read on this? What's your gut tell you? Something sounds fishy. You know, um, I'm like you. I've been drunk before and I've slept for eight hours, but not for two, two whole days. Right. I mean, <laughs> Stuff is not right. Yeah. I don't know if they gave this guy a um, a drug test or anything like that. I mean, I, I, but I mean, what drug could you take that'll keep you asleep for two days? Very strange. Maybe he just oh, it took a whole bunch of, um, what's that, no-dos? No, what's no, the opposite. The opposite. Ambien or something. Ambien to make you go to sleep. Can you sleep for two days, even if you if you take Ambien? Hell, I wish I could sleep for eight hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh when we're talking about three people dying, but I, I get what you mean. I, I don't know how you sleep for two straight days like this. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Three people dead. That's the important aspect of it. And these guys, you know, there was no evidence of acrimony between the four of them. It's not like they were splitting an inheritance as far as we know or anything like that. It's just a giant mystery as to why these three people froze to death outside of – in the backyard of a warm house and presumably three warm cars. Makes no sense. There's got to be some sort of substance abuse involved or substance use involved. I don't know if it's on the part of the people that died. I don't know if it's on the part of the guy who was warm sleeping for two days in his house or both. 
But it strikes me as absurd. I'm sure this is not the last we're going to find of this. 800-848-9222. Charlie in Rockland, what do you make of this? Hey, I, I think they haven't shared how they found these poor victims. And uh, that would really let us all have less to talk about it, I guess. You know, were they, were they in the yard? Uh, all, on, all on top of each other because they were playing a game and got hurt and froze. Were they in the back patio strewn about? You know, these, these poor people, it's horrible what happened. But I, if it turns out that they were just, you know, dragged out into a chair and this guy didn't, you know, answer any doors or text messages for two days, I think something's a little fishy in Denmark. Well, look, here's what I've read about the situation, right? So two of the men were found in the snow outside the rental home. The other was found dead on the man's back porch. So what, is, what does that tell us? Well, it, you, you know, perhaps the fella passed out his house, didn't wake up for 48 hours, and these folks were so inebriated they couldn't break a window, and you know, if cold takes you over quick, if they didn't have coats and gloves, right? But might just be I, I, a bad I, habit. You yeah, know? Uh, Charlie, thank you. I just, again, not that any of us know, but wouldn't one of them have been able to make it to their car? So now it comes out that a fifth friend who attended this watch party that preceded the mysterious deaths of these three people offered a new account of the final hours of these three men. So the fifth man who was at the home on January 7th, who has not been named publicly, told Channel 4 in Kansas City that Willis and the three men were still awake when he left the home that night. He stressed that he was not the last person to see the men alive. His attorney told the outlet that his client arrived at the residence to watch the Chiefs play the Chargers, and he left at approximately midnight. And when his client left... The other four men were awake watching Jeopardy. Boy, Jeopardy. Talk about Jeopardy. Um, So I don't know what that tells us, that they were at least awake until midnight. Did they go outside uh, in the middle of the night for something? I don't know. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Maine. Give me your take on this, Joe. Good morning, Francis. How are you? Doing just dandy. Thank you. Great. Um, as far as the Kansas City issue, I would reserve judgment. There's so many details left out, and it's just it's new. It's a new story since I the top of the hour that you told me. I would wait for more stuff, and it's a local issue. There's so many more things, and drugs come to my mind, absolutely. But who knows? Um, I, I'd actually like to move over to the cable TV. Sure, be my TV. guest. Be my guest. The, I, I look at that as the way it's going to go by the way of the railroad. It's going to exist, but it's not going to. They're going to lose employees, and there's so many commercials on cable TV. My sister and I watch cable TV quite a bit, and the commercials are just so interesting. They, they just, it, I know commercials are important. It, it makes the world go round or money go round, but there's just when you're involved in a program and you get cut off by a commercial and we change the channel i can't watch two or three programs at once so it'll last but 
you know, Bill O'Reilly and Brian Stelter said some right things, I believe. Um, I, I believe Brian Stelter is getting a raw deal because he's been excoriated by Tucker Carlson for such a long time. I think he's, he's, he's an okay guy. You really don't know him. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, you no, know, I'm. And first of all, you see with um, the way Tucker promoted uh, Don Lemon joining X, that you know you do what you have to do while you're in the trenches, right? I mean, you know, it's it, the cable news is really pro wrestling. I mean, while someone's on a rival network, you have a lot of fun bashing them, but ne- when you're on the same network, as is now the case with Tucker and Don Lemon. All of a sudden, it's very goombaya. Radio is the same thing. You go from you know bitter enemies to best of friends and all the like. You know it happens. That's a good point. Very good point. Um, another thing that I wrote. I'm just wrote, like from what you said since the top of the hour. I just wrote a few things. Um, the upcoming election. I'm. I've been lately posting on Facebook. I want Snoopy for president. That's what it's coming down to. And you're not um, talking about Snoop Dogg. You're talking the actual dog, Snoopy. Actually, yeah, absolutely, by Charles Schultz and all his uh, camaraderies with, with uh, actually Snoopy president and Woodstock as his running mate. Well, I think that they live in the same state, so I'm not sure they could run together. But I think that ticket would generate a lot of interest, Joe. It can be arranged. I mean, more thing, more more precarious arrangements have been made. If you know no, what I so mean. So it sounds like you're. Kind of the person that Stelter is describing. You're not hyped up about a Biden versus Trump rematch. I'm not at all. I'm mm-hmm. I'm totally turned off. I mean, Trump did. I I supported Trump, but he's so divisive for the country, and it's like I want him, but I don't because yeah. I don't need this static going on twenty all four years. Yeah, I, um, I get it. I get it, Joe. Believe me, I get it. Hey, Joe, thanks for the call. I appreciate you listening. Call again. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Aside from prognosticating over um, the future of cable news, well, I guess this is sort of cable news, but it's also comedy. After more than a year searching to find a new host, The Daily Show has found one. They are turning to John Stewart. 
<laughs> at least one day a week. They have tapped the man who built it into a media and show business institution to help forge their next chapter. John Stewart, who hosted the program for 16 years before leaving in 2015, is returning to The Daily Show as a part-time host and executive producer through the 2024 presidential election. He's going to lead the program on Monday nights, beginning February 12th, leaving hosting on Tuesdays through Thursdays to the show's correspondence. I think this is interesting. Now, there's no doubt um, of John Stewart's talent or his following or the impact that he had on The Daily Show. Here's John Stewart on The Daily Show in 2015. Brings us to our newest segment, Joe Biden. You only have one job. <laughs> As vice president, your mission is simple. You show up. You shake a couple of hands, you flash the pearlies, you get home in time for the Mindy Project. That's it! But we've already seen that remorse... (laughs) We've already seen that remorse about lady touching is the one thing Joe Biden will not feel. Man, we both have something in common. We're both married up. You come in here, baby. You get right in the middle. Hi. Hey, sister, you're beautiful. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hope you have a big fence around the house. Did you want to get ice cream? Can I go in with Jesse alone? Very good. Uh, Dad's going to stand pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously, they're showing visuals of Biden kind of freaking out. I can still see it! So, look, John Stewart is immensely talented. I, I never watched, I never got in the habit of watching The Daily Show. I have seen it, and I think he's very funny. And, you know, he did something that you don't see on cable uh, on cable news or on television much these days. Is he made fun of everybody. Made fun of Republicans, made fun of Democrats. I think most people have a pretty good idea of what his politics are, but he took shots at everybody. What I'm going to say, I want you to first keep in mind that I am almost always wrong about this stuff. For instance, I did not think Ken Jennings was going to be a good host of Jeopardy. The guy is great. The guy is absolutely much better than I ever could have imagined. And I was on behind this microphone saying it was not going to work out. I think sometimes it can be a mistake to go backwards. He made a decision to leave after 16 years. And I think to go back now after nine years to what made you famous Sometimes you're never as good as people remember. And sometimes you can't live up to what people's expectations of you are. And sometimes people's habits change. Um, And sometimes when you go back, it doesn't work out as well. We saw that with uh, Mike Francesa. When he came back, people found other stuff to listen to. Sometimes it does work out. I think Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins on Family Feud, that kind of worked out. I have my doubts about how this is going to work out, this one-day-a-week return gig for John Stewart. Curious what you think. Meantime, keep asking questions. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.